Hi, this is Dr. Rahman, and welcome to Black Women's Health. It's all about you, and we celebrate the Black woman. Welcome. I am glad to have you here. Let's talk. Welcome back to Black Women's Podcast. I am so happy today to have a very special person with me. Her name is Miss Nicole. We're going to talk. We're going to just be open and real about our own personal experiences and how we feel about things that are affecting Black women. We're here as two Black women having a talk together. We invite you to listen, and if you like, share your thoughts with us. Miss Nicole, how are you today? I'm great, thank you. All right, so we've, um, I should share with you that Miss Nicole has been a patient of today's woman for a number of years, and over, over time I've come to think of her as not only a patient, but a friend, and we've had conversations, and she shared some of her life story with me, and that prompted me to ask her to participate in this podcast today. The first thing is that black women and their weight. We are routinely told that four out of five black women are either overweight or obese. And that's an astounding number. And as we get older, the number of women who are obese or overweight increases. And we think that's a problem because it increases our risk for high blood pressure and diabetes, and it increases our risk for heart disease, which is the number one killer in this country. But what's remarkable about Miss Nicole is that she's actually lost weight. And so now I'm going to ask you, how did you do it? Well, I'm a stress eater. Um, I've been overweight um, my entire life because the women in my family are overweight. Um, I reached a plateau where I was probably the biggest that I had ever been, I believe, two years ago or maybe a year and a half ago. Um, Due to stress, uh, health issues with my husband and my mother, I just was eating on the fly, eating whatever I could get. but I was stressed out and someone said, well, why don't you try walking? Um, And I thought about it, contemplated it. I didn't actually start the walking until I couldn't sleep. And then I thought if I started walking, I would tire myself out and I would just fall asleep. My mind was always racing. Um, And I had remembered um, after meeting you a few years ago, I think 2009, 2010, we were talking about my weight and how I could lose weight. And you had said, well, you know, if you don't eat the chips, If you eat the chips, you're going to have to walk. Um, And it just sort of played in my mind. And I started walking on the treadmill um, for 35 minutes a day. Um, I wasn't doing it every day. I think I was up to maybe three to four times a week. Um, And I really wasn't focused on losing weight, to be quite honest. Um, It really was helping me with my stress. I felt better. I was sleeping better. And so I continued. Um, And then I noticed my clothes fit different. Um, and so I was like, wow, great benefit. 
Um, but it wasn't until I came to see you and you actually told me the number of pounds that I lost that I really, like when you're looking at yourself every day, you see yourself, so you don't right. really see what everyone else is seeing. Right. Um, but the number um, astounded me, and then I didn't want to get big-headed and think, okay, I licked this. So um, I'm just trying to be mindful. But the benefit about uh, walking on the treadmill or doing the exercise was I noticed that I couldn't eat um, large meals like I used to. So before I could say eat a plate of spaghetti, plate mm -hmm. and a half, no mm -hmm. problem. Now I can't even eat a half a plate of spaghetti and it's not like I'm telling myself not to. I noticed that as I'm working out my body adjusted to, my hunger level adjusted to um, what I, the activity and I'm burning more. Um, and even now I don't go to the gym as often as I did before. I'm now probably two to three times a week, but I'm walking more. Um, so I'm more conscious about walking. I'm more conscious about taking the stairs. Um, and what I've realized is a body in motion stays in motion. A body at rest mm -hmm. stays at rest. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened. Once I started um, to get in motion and start walking, um, as I said, I, my mind was clearer. I slept better and I feel better. Well, that's fantastic. I have a couple questions for you, though. How much walking were you doing? On the treadmill, I initially started out with 30 to 35 minutes. And you would do it every day? No, I, it, it, that's not true. In the beginning, once I started sleeping better, I really was going uh, every day except when my mother needed to be in the hospital or my husband needed to be in the hospital. So I was trying to get it in every day. Um, and that lasted maybe about 30 to 45 days. As you know, my mother is really sick, and mm -hmm. I shared how sick my husband was. So there would be times I would leave work, go to the ER, stay there all night, and then have to rush home, change my clothes to go back to work. So um, I can honestly say that I was very consistent about getting it in, um, yeah, three to four times a week because I made sure I would go during the weekend. Um, and any time I was able to just get home, I would go. And what I'm doing now, because my daughter, as you know, she's also overweight. Mm -hmm. um, she's uh, doing much better with her weight because she's more conscious because we're living together. So we're not, you know, we're not doing the chips and stuff. Um, I'm making an effort, a concerted effort to make sure that we go to the gym at least three to four times. So I'm prompting her, let's go to the gym, let's walk. And she's noticed the difference. She said, Mom, you're right. I notice I can't eat a whole plate of food anymore. And I don't know whether it's linked to our thinking about the mm. food and eating, mm -hmm. but I just know I did. I wasn't thinking about it, but I noticed after I had started walking that I could, my appetite wasn't um, as large as it had been. Was it a leisurely walk, or was it one of those power walks where you're trying to work up a sweat? Um, How, what did you do? I started at 2.9 miles per hour, um, and now I'm at four miles an hour. Um, okay. So I started I started at my own pace. Like, I was watching these women around me. When I say power walking, like, they had to incline up to 10. One woman had her thing on five. I tried to go to three and had my <laughs> incline to five. I almost fell off the treadmill. So I just thought, okay, I'm not going to give myself a heart attack. Okay. I started walking. Um, I notice now it doesn't, I don't, I don't have to exert myself um, extremely like I used to in order to get a sweat. I notice now once I start walking, my heart starts to pump and I really get into it. But um, yeah, at the end, it, I do sweat. My daughter did her own research and she told me, mom, if you're going to walk 35 miles an hour, statistics show that, I mean, 30 um, 
30 to 35 minutes an hour you might as well do 45 minutes an hour 45 minutes because that is the best um you get the best maximum workout and it helps you to burn more calories at 45 minutes okay so but you're saying you started this not about your weight you weren't really focused on your weight it was about stress i was stressed and i thought i was going to have a nervous breakdown and did it relieve the stress it helped me to sleep. I couldn't sleep. That's really why I thought. So dealing with pressure. You were going to get yourself so, so tired yeah, that you would just fall, fall asleep. asleep. Yeah. I'm used to dealing with pressure. I'm not used to dealing with pressure and not being able to sleep. So when I had so much pressure and then I found myself not being able to fall asleep, worrying about, you know, all the different extenuating circumstances, nursing home visits, you know, uh, death, mm-hmm. um, being sick, you mm-hmm. know, what's the person's going to mm-hmm. eat, then trying mm-hmm. to figure out my schedule and still mm-hmm. having to work because the bills needed to be paid. I just couldn't fall asleep, even though I was laying there. Um with my eyes closed, I wasn't getting any sleep. And so it really was to just like walk until I was comatose and I would just go to sleep. Um, But like I said, the weight loss was an extra benefit. So I had not seen you for a while. And when you walked in, you looked different. I had to do a double take. You looked younger, you looked happier. You must know that people are reacting to you differently. They are. Um, I have to say, um, I often get told I don't look my age. I, I have to say, um, it, it's it's nice. Um, it's refreshing. Um, and I was told I'm smiling more. And I don't. I don't know. I don't feel stressed out anymore. I don't feel weighed down by everything that's happening. And it's not to say that you know my life is now turned around and everything's hunky dory. I just think that my mind is clearer, um, that exercising really is helping me to focus and sort of put stuff in perspective. And I'm no longer putting me last, and that's a big thing that we as women do. We put ourselves last. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. That's really why I never went to the gym. I was so busy with my kids, Mm -hmm. my household, and everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was like, oh, I'll get to it when I get to it. Mm -hmm. Well, now I'm making an effort to get to it for me. Okay. And the weight is still a non-issue for you? Do you care? At this point, are you, oh, I've lost so much weight, but I want to lose another 10 pounds, or I like where I am, or is the number on the scale important to you? The number on the scale was important when it kept going up. And the more it went up, the stress, the more stress I felt. And mm-hmm. whenever I tried to diet, mm-hmm. it just seemed to backfire. Instead mm-hmm. of losing a pound, a half a pound, I would gain a pound or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did better when I didn't try than when I did. Now, um, I'm looking in the mirror. I don't think I looked in the mirror before. Like, you get dressed and make sure that you look appropriate and I look business. But now I'm looking in the mirror at myself. And now I'm like... feeling yourself. Yes. Okay. And so now I'm like, oh, wow. Okay, I probably could, you know, work on this a little bit. So that's where I'm at now. I'm not so much focused on the weight um, as I am focused on looking my best and feeling my best. Um, Because for me, weight, I mean, um, yeah, weight is a number. Um, I don't want to be paper thin. I'm not built to be paper thin. Um, I want to look healthy and feel healthy. And I don't want it to become, I don't want to become obsessed with it. Um, And that's sometimes what we can do. And I think that attitude is reflected by a lot of black women because we are, though, four out of five of us are either overweight or, or obese, 
we don't seem to stress out about it. We want to look good and we want to feel good. Mm -hmm. And some of us feel that we can look good big and we don't have a problem with that. And some of us don't. So I think that's a healthy attitude. I think it really is. Yeah, I I think so. I think that we have to learn to love ourselves. Um, I think that, um, you know, I have friends and, you know, I talk and we all have this persona. Yeah, you know, I'm the best thing since sliced bread. But in the back of our minds is, oh, God, you know, look how good she looks and look at me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so now what I'm doing is as I see other women, it's not so much I'm looking at them and like, oh, God, she looks a mess. She needs to lose weight. I'm looking at their midsections and what is big. And the common denominator for me as when I see women is it's like all of our weight goes to our midsection. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, what is it? Like, what is the common denominator? Is it what they're putting in our foods? Mm -hmm. Um, Because every... You know, everybody's not just laying around eating potato chips and candy like I was, you know. Um, and so, yeah, I just, it, it is. And then I often think, you know, wow, you know, I wish she would be able to put herself first because I've been in that position where you just have to keep putting your foot, you know, one foot in front of the other moving and you get, mm-hmm. you're the back burner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think stress eating, emotional eating, um, when we have so much that's weighing on us, food is like our one guilty pleasure Mm -hmm. it's the one thing that we can do with somebody or without somebody we can eat when we're happy we can eat when we're sad we can eat at any time Mm -hmm. and food actually becomes can actually turn around and not be our friend absolutely um and but we treat it like our lover I was just thinking that I, I have, a, um, as you were talking, I was thinking about my cousin, and I used to tease her um, a lot because she'll eat a piece of cheesecake or she'll see some food and go, mm, this ain't right. And I'm looking at her like, it can't be that good. But I, on the flip side now, I understand. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, speaking of that, I think that it's important for us to realize that it's the weight that you feel good at mm-hmm. that's important. Yeah. But we need to understand that the more weight we carry, and to translate that, the more fat we carry, that we put ourselves at risk for the high blood pressure and the diabetes. And there's a price to pay. Absolutely. I do know when I was um, larger than I am now, um, I think you told me my cholesterol was messed up. Um, or was I was on borderline to need to take cholesterol medicine. I really didn't want to do that. Um, and so, yeah, as you begin to feel better, look better, and lose the weight, your knees feel better, you move a little faster, your mm-hmm. clothes fit better, mm-hmm. and you have a better mind frame. You do your hair differently. Absolutely. I'm looking at you now. <laughs> I mean, you Absolutely. really do have a youthful glow about oh, you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, that's really nice. So... But one of the things that I want to talk about with you is something that you shared, but not right away. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I actually have to say I have a lot of respect for the fact that you shared it because this is something that's often considered a family secret. We don't talk about this to anybody else. And that's domestic violence. 
And you actually said that um, you had experienced domestic violence in your own life. And I'm wondering um, and feel free to say as much or as little as you feel comfortable. But I'm wondering um, what made you decide to share? I don't even remember telling you, to be honest. Um, and I said I wasn't going to cry. Um, I think I was probably overwhelmed. And it was a knee-jerk reaction, to be honest. Um, so the my husband that passed away was my abuser. Um, and it took a long time for me. So when he got really sick... When I decided to divorce him, he got really sick. And I just couldn't divorce him being sick. The reason I didn't share, I was embarrassed at first. It was like, how in the hell did you get yourself in this mess? And I kept thinking, there's something wrong with you. Like, what are you doing that this is happening to you? To be honest, I don't come from a family of abuse. Usually you hear that and it's like they lived with abusive, you know, their father or mother was abusive <laughs> or they watched somebody be abusive. I can't, that's not my claim. I can't claim that. I mean, my grandfather, my uncles, you know, they weren't abusive to their partners. Um, and my mother was married twice, but my mother is no Eve Manor. She was yes. no nonsense. Yes. You get on her nerves, she might abuse you. <laughs> and I remember thinking, in my mind, I, was, I used to think, my mom, nobody's going to marry her. She ain't married because she's so hard. And so when I got married, I just thought it was going to be like what I witnessed, you know, as a kid. And so when it wasn't, I thought it was me. I thought it was me. I was like, oh, God, I must be too much like my mother. And then, and I, when I say I have a number of family members, I have a number of family members now that, and what happened, I mean, full disclosure, is abusers know. They know who they're getting. They, they seek you out. My husband sought me out. He knew. He knew the type of person I was. He knew the background. What I didn't know was I didn't know his background and his parents. Now, while I knew him since I was 14, yeah. we um, separated, and then we got back together as adults. But as you said, you keep the secret. What happens in here stays in here. So I had no clue that his father was abusive to his yeah. mother and the stuff that he witnessed. So his toxic view of love was yeah. we fight, make up, yeah. and do it all again yeah. um, and because I thought my mother was so domineering and strong that's why she was not with anybody and was divorced twice that I needed to just sort of be a doormat uh, and then after you know I mean then my son comes that so my son came two years after we got married and a few years after my baby was born I remember thinking, you need to get out of this. Um, and I didn't want him to be, you know, brought up in a broken home. And of course, yeah. you know, as abusers do, mm -hmm. oh, I'm going to get help. It's not mm -hmm. going to happen again. Mm -hmm. um, and then you get, and then 
um, my trajectory or my job started to change. So I started to become, you know, a manager, then a program director, you know, and so I was moving up. Um, now, who do you say you're in this, you know, mm-hmm. position with a little authority? Mm-hmm. Who in the world is going to believe that you're in a situation? How dumb can you be to be in a mm-hmm. situation with someone that is abusing you? So the embarrassment and the shame sort of kept me stationary for a while. Um, and full disclosure, um, I started drinking. Um, mm-hmm. So to anesthetize yeah, yourself. Yeah. So being drunk, waking up. You know, and then it wasn't until my son found me in the bathroom asleep. He was like, Mommy, you've been in here a long time. So I knew I had to get myself together. And then right when I was going to leave, I remember getting an apartment, um, filling out stuff for a change of address. I found out I was pregnant with my daughter. Um, And then by that time, his abusiveness stopped physical. It was more mental and verbal oh yeah you didn't got yourself this high paying job and you didn't went back to school you think you're so much important than everybody i know where you came from um you know stuff like that so it was the guilt factor um and and, and to be honest after a while, after i had my daughter he used to get on my nerves and i realized i became the abuser a few times um just you know because the mother and me eventually comes out and then um Yeah, and then, you know, I look up, and then when I finally, you know, it wasn't like I didn't say, I'm going to divorce you, I'm going to leave you. Um, You look up, and I was married to him for 24 years. You look up, and 24 years have gone by. And when my daughter went on her prom, I I told him, I said, listen, KK is going on her prom, and when she gets off her prom, I'm going to go and file for a divorce. I don't care. He does not know that was the key to the prison door. When he said that, I lied to you not. It was like... Let me just stop. If he had said, don't do it. I have no clue. Honestly, I don't know. If he had said, in my mind, I knew, I thought he would argue with me. And I was planning to do it anyway. But when he didn't say it was, I don't care, go do it, then... I remember like it was yesterday. I got up that morning. I was singing in the shower. I'm not kidding. I got dressed. I went to work. Went to the lawyer. Lawyer told me what they needed. I called my father, who I was estranged from, partly because he didn't like my husband. Told my father I wanted a divorce. Within an hour, I had the money to file for the divorce. And here I am today. That's an amazing story. I mean, I I can feel the pain. And I think 24 years. 24. When I think back, I'm like, God, 24. Like, how do you, almost like Rip Van Winkle. I'm telling you, I, sometimes my son will say something to me about his childhood. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Father, please help me to remember what he's remembering. Because it was, I realize now that I was living, but I was dead. Mm -hmm. And between the drinking and not being present, Mm -hmm. 
And I think that's how we made it to 24 years. I can remember, you know, in, 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 uh, in residency and even out of, your, out of residency, we hear about domestic violence and we're taught that we're supposed to ask everybody. But you know how you are. You look at some people and you say, oh, no, mm-hmm. she looks too good. She looks too put together to have something happen like this. And I remember experience where there was a woman, and I, I should say she was a white woman, and she was a white woman living in Montclair, New Jersey, mm-hmm. where there was lots of money. And um, I was taking her history, and I was just asking the questions, and I remember my head was down, and I remember saying, so have you ever been subject to any domestic abuse and I was ready to go on to the next question but I didn't hear no and I remember I kind of stopped and she didn't say anything and I finally looked at her and she said no one has ever asked me that question mm-hmm. and the reality was that she had been because it happens to women across the board mm-hmm. rich poor black white women experience it but with black women there's the added factor of racism and sexism that kind of come in there and was it did you ever think of reporting the violence to the police i reported the violence child i'm embarrassed to tell you how many times the police came to my house sometimes my neighbors reported the violence um, I'll never forget this one time, two female officers, first time it ever happened, two female officers came out. And so my husband was calm, but he was a, a mean drunk mm-hmm. and he drank every day. Mm-hmm. And the cops came in and they wanted to see me and I was sitting on the sofa and he said something and the woman looked up and said, let me be clear, officer of the law or not. I am not your wife, so you need to get it together before you get hauled up out of here. So after they looked at me and she came and asked me, you know, the routine questions, are you okay? Did he hit you and all that other stuff? And I go through the rigmarole um, and where well, I'm walking her to the door or whatever have you. She, turn, she stops before I could shut the door. She turns back. She says, ma'am, I need you to know that you don't have to be a victim. Mm-hmm. She said, but I hope. I won't be coming here because he didn't seriously hurt you or you're dead. And two days later, in the mail, an anonymous letter came about what to do, where mm-hmm. to go for mm-hmm. shelter, mm-hmm. and all of that other mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and that's what I think women should realize, especially us as African American women. It's something that happened to us. It is not who we are. No. And the reality of it is, is we're not by ourselves. It's not something that we've done to cause it to happen. Um, and we can take our power back. Now, I real, I've talked to women. I deal with housing. And a number of the women I deal with um, seem to stay with the person or go back to the person because they have nowhere to live or they have nowhere to go and they don't want their children in a shelter. Um, And so I I think the discussion needs to be had because what I'll say, um, truthfully, I did my son a disservice. Um, He shows aggression. 
I was going to ask you that because it sounded, you said at least once or maybe even twice when you were on the verge of leaving, you found out that you were pregnant. And so you were almost staying for the children. Mm -hmm. And so do you think the children were affected by being in that kind of household? Absolutely. Absolutely. My son, um, as I said, I, um, I am thankful that we were able, after he got grown, to have the conversation um, about how he lived and how I lived and um, how it wasn't right and that he needed counseling because his nature is aggressive and when he speaks to his girlfriends, it's aggressive. Um, and we were on the plane together and he was talking to his girlfriend and I remember shrinking in my seat because it brought back a flashback of his father. And I remember leaning up, tapping him on his shoulder and saying, I need you to be calm. I said, and at this moment, I am embarrassed to say that you're my son and you are acting like your father. He looked at me. We looked at each other. We never said a word and we got off the plane and we never talked about it until we came home. And then I had to tell him. And he told me he didn't need counseling. Six months later, he told me I went to my first counseling session, yeah, and I was just so thankful. Yeah, um, yeah. Now, my daughter, after I had my daughter, my husband's whole demeanor changed. And I believe had I had a daughter first, maybe, you know, I, I would be telling you a different story, but I don't know whether it was the fact that he had a daughter and he was afraid that someone would do what he was doing to his daughter, but the love that he showered Michaela with, had he been half a husband as he was a father to KK, I wouldn't even be having this conversation with you. So I'm thankful in that regard, but I should have left. And when I told my children that I was getting a divorce, my son's exact words to me was, we were wondering what took you so long. Wow. That's a moment. So, did you share it with anyone those 24 years? Um, so, he did move me away from my family, and that's the one thing I forgot to say. When we initially got married, um, so all of my family, born and raised in West Philadelphia, um, when we got married, um, not right away, right after I had my son, um, he moved me to Nicetown, which is right below North Philly. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know the area. And... Um, his sister knew, um, and she would... You told her? Well, actually, she witnessed it, um, and she would come over and be like, bro, you shouldn't be doing that. You know, it was never, um, you know, go ahead and leave him. Um, you know, he's not going to change, you know what I mean? Because this is her loved one. Though, um... She thought it was acceptable or I'm, something that just happens? I think it was her brother, and she didn't want to tell me to leave her brother. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, and her father was doing it, so, mm -hmm. you know. So it um, seemed normal. And almost. probably to her, almost normal, like you said, in, in the African-American community, you know, it seems to be. Like, I wasn't the only woman on my block being abused. Um, I just wasn't the one being dragged down the street outside in the neighborhood, you know, so. Mm. So now that you've come out on the other side whole, what would you tell a woman that married and he did it, 
but he's now so sorry. He'll never do it again. What do you tell that woman? What do you tell the woman that has kids? What do you tell a woman that's been in a situation like yours? Hurt people hurt people. And if they're, it's like having a cut. If the cut never gets attended to and it never heals, every time the band-aid is removed, you're going to bleed and you're going to bleed on someone. The best help for the sobriety, the, the peace of mind for the person is to leave. And I'm not saying you have to divorce your mate, leave, get space so that that person can think and you can think. The reality of it is, is if they get comfortable with the status quo of baby, I'm sorry, and then you get comfortable with, oh, he's sorry, he's not going to do it again, they're mm-hmm. going to continue. I'm going to say this. The best apology is change behavior. Mm. That's a good one. Is there any point in calling the police? If we're ready. And I say, if you're in fear, call 911, period. That's it. You call 911. But what I mean when I say if you're ready, because the police are going to come. Um, They're going to give you the information that you need, you know, where you go to file a restraining order, um, uh, get a protection of abuse order, and uh, the whole gamut, everything that you're supposed to do. Are you able to press charges? Um, Depending upon if they see bruise. So now when the police come and you say, you know, you've been a victim of domestic violence or your partner hits you or whatever, they check for bruises and stuff and it becomes your word against their word. Mm -hmm. Um, But what they will do is tell you, um, as the person that called asking for help, they tell you where to go to file uh, protection from abuse order where you can get an immediate adjunction. The person would have to, you go down, um, file the judge will give you a temporary order and mm-hmm. then you have the person served and they have to leave until the court date. And then at the court date is when you both get to, you know, say what's going on and whatever evidence mm-hmm. you need to prove mm-hmm. your case. And then the judge will either render a permanent um, a protection order um, and the person can't come back to the home or if you don't show up, it, you know, the uh, temporary one just gets thrown out. So usually what happens with um, us is we'll get an order um, some of us will call the police, and then the police will leave, and it's, you know, I'm so sorry, let me come back in. Like, that happened a couple times. You know, I don't have anywhere to go. I'm going to have to sleep in this car and all that other stuff. I'm going to just sleep there tonight, and then I'll leave in the morning. Well, that never happens. Um, you know, so I, I would never tell someone not to call the police and not to seek help. I just think, and continue to do it as long as you need to do it until you're ready. When I knew I was ready, I was no longer angry. I didn't, I, it was no longer an argument. And when I was ready to go, I walked away from the house, the car. If I could have left the clothes, I would have left the clothes. It just, I wanted a clean slate and I was free and there was, I wasn't angry. I mean, I was thankful. So the last question, along the way, the love died? Um, the in love died and... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was my children's father. He was my husband. So hence why I, why I continued to care for him after I left him and was mm-hmm. divorced from him. Um, but what happens is you start to value you. You That's start it. to see you. That's it. You know, and once you start to see you and value you, 
you're not it's like you're not going to let someone just stand there and keep spitting on you you know and that's really what it is and I think I had to you know to come out of the shame and the hiding it's isn't before after I decided I was leaving I felt like oh god everybody you meet you telling you was a victim what is wrong with you are you crazy and then I realized you started telling people I started telling people they were like I can't believe you and you know, you oh my God, divorced. Like, yeah, we, we're, we're divorced. I had to leave him. And don't act like some of my friends, I had to say, don't act like you didn't know what he was doing. But I... Wait, you thought your girlfriends knew? I thought some of... We were childhood friends, so I thought... I knew. I don't. I didn't think. I knew some of our friends knew. They just didn't say anything. And maybe they didn't say anything because I didn't say anything. Or they knew that I wasn't leaving. I don't know. But um, I remember one time telling someone and my mind kicked in and said Nikki stop telling everybody that and then I had to think about why I was running around telling everyone and I was free I was no longer ashamed the truth will set you free that's what it was that's good well this is the last thing um, I want to talk about so now that you look good and you're free are you dating no and that's so typical for black women. And uh, there was a Ebony survey this year that asked black women, were they dating? Over half weren't. And so the question is, what's up? I mean, here you are looking youthful, feeling good, both inside and out, dressing wonderfully. What's why? What, what what is the what is the problem? Or is I'm there not, a problem? All right, I'm, going to, I'm not sure there's a problem. Um, so I've been asked on a date three times. I went on a date once with someone. Um, so for me, I'm not looking for someone to take care of me. Mm-hmm. You know, I I can do that. Um, at this particular juncture in my life, and I guess it has to do with, you know, um, my married life, I'm looking for peace, happiness, and joy. And I don't feel like I have time for games and shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also not the one that's going to go out and see a brother sitting at the bar and be like, hey, how you doing? Because then I don't want to be perceived as fast and loose because that definitely isn't me. Um, so saying, hey, how you doing, would be being fast and loose? Well, I'm from the neighborhood I'm from and from the era I'm from, yes. Pe- people would have thought I was fast and loose by doing that. But um, I'll just say the one guy that took me on a date, um, it was very nice. Um, and at the end of the date, I think he felt like we are two consenting adults. So what's next? And in my mind... I don't know you, you don't know me, there is nothing next, maybe another date. So he didn't call me again, and that was okay with me. And you would never consider calling him? No. No. (laughs) That's not true. I did, but then I don't want the same scenario to happen either. Like, I'm not... um, I'm not to the point where you we go out to dinner and then we just want to be in a sack together. All right, so let me just, just for our listening audience, can I ask you, are you um, 
over 40 or under 40? I'm, I'm happy to tell you I'm over 40. Okay, so you're over, you're a grown woman mm -hmm. with essentially grown children. Yes. You have your own. What are you looking for in a man? That is a good question. Um, I am looking for someone that's truthful, that I can trust, that I can grow with. Um, yeah. I, and and yeah. Does he have to look a certain way? I can't say no, but... Um, <laughs> Like I, I okay, so I am attracted to taller men. Okay, okay? he has to be tall. Yes, I am attracted to taller men. Um, yeah, I don't, and the personality that that's what does it for me. Um, okay. I now um, that I'm more seasoned, I am for myself a okay. good judge of character, and okay. um, you know, I, I yeah, his character, he, he has to. He has to, yeah. I don't. I, I'm trying to put it in words because I know what I I feel and I need. But he just has to be calm and you know want to have a good time. And I'm very leery of people that want to boss me. Like we okay. can't, yeah. Yes. So you you yes. can't be. I'm yes. not saying not to be a man because no woman wants a weak man. Yes. But I'm also saying you can't tell me or oh, sit here because I think it's better because then I'm just going to see Because I said it. so. Yeah, because I'm going to be somewhere else. I'm going to be out the door. Does he have to have a certain type of profession? No, he can't be a bum. I mean, I'm not taking care of anybody, but no. He I don't has think to be employed. Well, he could be retired. Oh, you know? that's right. Yeah, he could be, be retired. retired. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm not with benefits. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not saying that you know he has to be Maximilian or you know the CEO of some Fortune 500 company. But yeah, I think at our age, we, he should have either you know established himself a nice working career or be retired from somewhere. Yeah. Okay. Um, does it matter if he's been married before or had children or not had children? Oh, no. I mean, I can't put stipulations on people that I have. I've been married 24 years, um, you know, and I have two grown children. Um, it depends on where they are in the relationship because um, being married and separated is one thing. Um, and That's then, true. yeah, so you you know you That's still true. have those connections going on. Like That's true. I've I've dealt with a lot of baggage already, and yes. I'm just not looking to take on more baggage okay. now. You know, if you are mad, you have an ex-wife and you have children together, and you guys have to talk with for your children. I understand. I have my children, and my children need me. I'm there, so yes. I, I respect that. Yes. All right. Um, does he have to be African American? I love black brothers. I mean, yeah, I, I'm going to say yes. Yeah, I, I was going to say not really, you but that would date be... date outside your race? No, as I think you're more thought. And, and you're very consistent with the Ebony survey. Black women tend not to want to date outside their race. Yeah, black... I'm telling you, it's, it's something very about the black men. Something about black men. That's right. That's why... There's something. Um... And how, how do you think you're going to meet this man? You are so far. Everyone answers me that. How are you going to meet somebody? You go to work, you go to church, and you're about to go back to school. Who are you meeting? Um, 
I have friends that try to hook me up. Um, yeah, I have family members that try to hook me up. Honestly, I'm probably going to date someone by word of mouth unless I go out and someone approaches me and we strike up conversation and we have a connection. And the reason I say if they approach me, because I have been told that when I'm out and people will like say hi to me, I have this don't date. Do not approach. And I think I used to have that because when I was married, one, um, I was married to my husband, abusive or not, I did not envision cheating on him. And two, I felt like if you're overly nice or you're saying hi, then then that leads to you can come talk to me. So now I'm trying to make sure I don't have that going on on my face. So with the new and improved you, mm-hmm. approach a man. Not not asking for a date, but just to say, you know, maybe smile, say hello. Working on it. You're working. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on it. Well, that's good. That's yes. good. Um, I, let me say this. I don't um, want to be alone. I mm-hmm. um, do look forward to getting married again. Mm-hmm. I think marriage is a wonderful thing. I think I just happened to marry the wrong person and stay married for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am excited about the um, opportunity to, you know, go mm-hmm. out and mm-hmm. have a nice dinner um, and talk with someone. And it doesn't have to lead to anything, um, you know. And mm-hmm. if it does, that's wonderful, too. But just to, you know, have company. A lot of times people think it's, as soon as you go out to dinner, you're trying to mm-hmm. get it to lead somewhere. No, I'm easy. We can go out to dinner, have a good time, and decide to go out again or decide thank you so much and we won't do this again. And would you go online to date, to find someone to date? So one of my friends did that to me. Put my profile online. And what I thought was a nice brother inboxed me to try to date me. And we start talking. And I thought something was amiss. But I'm like, Nikki, that's just you being you. Until he sends, first he sends me a text message with, my picture and his picture merged together in a heart. I'm thinking, man, we haven't even had coffee yet. All that glitters isn't gold. You don't know me. That's right. However, I'm like, we still on for coffee. It was a good co- conversation. We're still on for coffee, right? Oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I've been waiting to meet somebody like you. And the next day, he says, I, wanna, I want you to really get to know me. And he sends me a clip of himself on the Maury Povich show. And the caption read, Maury, please help me tell this 20-year-old I am not her baby's father because I am 50. So I call him up and said, did you mean to send me your Maury Povich clip? (laughs) Yeah, I want you to get to know me. Man, ain't that wild? I said, and did the caption read correctly that you needed to prove to a 20-year-old at 50 that you weren't her baby's father? Yeah, Maury proved that. I said, I'm going to need you to not call me anymore because I have a 20-year-old. And if you should look at her, one of us will be locked up and the other one would be hurt. So please don't call me again. I don't understand. I wasn't their father. I told my friend to please remove my profile 
from wherever she put it. Well, if at first you don't succeed. Oh, try, try, try again. Try, try so, again. Yeah. But I think, and I've heard that black women, and I think it becomes more of a challenge for the older black woman mm -hmm. to find um, a partner. Mm -hmm. because you're right at that point you're not looking for someone to have children with you you're really looking for someone to enjoy the rest of your life with mm -hmm. you know you don't want the drama we've had the drama we want the joy mm -hmm. but I think that we sit back and think that it's going to come to us or if we pray about it it'll happen but I think it, it takes us being knowing what we want so that when we see it we'll recognize it I agree and being willing to I mean not do anything out of character you know mm -hmm. if it makes you feel uncomfortable you probably shouldn't do it but some way in your own way finding a way to give someone a green light mm -hmm. to say yes you may approach right. you know to look approachable and I think for you as we kind of wrap this up I mean you're a true testimonial of a woman that's come through and is better for it you know and is deserving of all the good things that life has to offer thank you um, and so I wish you the best and mm -hmm. thank you so much. I'm looking forward to the best. Yes. I really am. I'm, I, I have, for it's been a long time since I've been looking forward to tomorrow. So I, I truly am. So thank you. Yeah, I think it's the beauty of black women. We, mm -hmm. we you know, we can take it mm -hmm. and still look good on the outside yes. and heal and look, feel good on the inside. Yes. So to black women. So this is Dr. Ramon saying it's been a pleasure speaking to you and I look forward to talking with you real soon. Until then, be well, be healthy, and enjoy life.